unbelievably excited, unreal excited. This season of The Ready State is brought to you by Territory Foods. Territory Foods is a prepared meal delivery service that delivers personalized nutrition through locally sourced, professionally crafted, unquestionably delicious meals. Made without gluten, refined sugar, dairy, guesswork, and guilt, its intuitive online menu supports a variety of eating intentions, including Whole30, Paleo and Keto, and its community-based micro-production model maintains a healthy respect for neighborhood partners, local chefs, big flavors, and small carbon footprints. You know, a long time ago, I got food shamed once for not being well-prepared at the gym. I'd been at the gym all day, and I pulled out a really crappy, like, ready-to-drink shake, and someone crushed me, and they're like, you should be prepared. Well, guess what? I show up now with my little territory meals, I'm like, hey... Sometimes we try to get our territory meals out of the fridge at our gym and someone has taken one or two of them. These guys, these things are so delicious. And we have been territory users for a long time, even before they were they changed their name to territory. Um, they got me to like sweet potatoes. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a big deal because he never ate sweet potatoes before eating territory meals. No, th- I, these, these, I'm, I'm thrilled. Local company or you know, our local reps are great people. They're definitely part of our community. And even better, our teenage daughter takes a territory meal to lunch every single day, and we feel stoked knowing she's eaten a vegetable. <laughs> or maybe even two. I think I'm stoked that I've eaten a vegetable. Sometimes, sometimes it rolls around, I'm like, I have eaten actual food today. This is incredible. If you want to receive $25 off your first two orders, go to www.territoryfoods.com slash yum, as in Y-U-M, slash the ready state. Try it out. I think you'll really enjoy it. Hey everyone, I'm Dr. Kelly Starrett. And I'm Juliette Starrett. And this is The Ready State. You got it! You better stop it! We are excited to welcome Brian McKenzie to the podcast today. Brian is the founder and creative director of Power Speed Endurance and the co-founder and president of the Health and Human Performance Foundation. He is an expert in the development and application of custom protocols to optimize human health and performance. His work harnesses and integrates respiratory, movement, strength, and endurance-based training approaches to elicit unprecedented positive results. His protocols have been used to accelerate and raise both mental and physical performance in world-class Olympic and professional athletes, top executives and operators, as well as to improve the health for people suffering from various chronic illnesses. Everyday people have used Brian's tools to reduce pathologic stress and to vastly heighten their mental and physical well-being and performance. Brian himself is a badass athlete. He has completed the Ironman Canada and both the Western States 100 and the Angeles Crest 100 using adapted training protocols he developed to avoid injury and fatigue. We are super stoked to have Brian on this season of the podcast because he is one of our best friends and because he was in the CrossFit world from the very beginning as an SME of CrossFit Endurance. For those outside the CrossFit universe, we'll let Brian explain what that means. Brian McKenzie, welcome to the Ready State Podcast. Juliet Starrett, thank you for having me. Uh, I'll just jump right in here. You were not one of the first 50 CrossFit affiliates, but you were part of a uh, special group of people known as CrossFit SMEs. So can you tell us what an SME is uh, what were you, and what, what it is you were doing for CrossFit as an SME in the early days? Yes, ma'am. Uh, so I think we were like around 250 or something as an affiliate, but uh, the... SME program 
was my way in to CrossFit because I, anyway, SME is a subject matter expert. And I got involved with CrossFit for the reason of endurance training. We figured out a new paradigm in how to train sport specific with regards to endurance training. And part of that equation was running mechanics. And my entrance into CrossFit came because I actually emailed Greg and I was like, I really love what you're doing. And you're so focused on movement, but um, why does everybody run like shit? (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like, and by the way, we've we've done a few heavy duty endurance events and I just finished uh, my second hundred miler and we used this program and we used it in conjunction with CrossFit to actually do something. And it, he instantly, like he responded, I think that day to me and was like, Hey, can you come to Santa Cruz and talk about this? And that was kind of the kickoff of what I did. And that was when level ones actually had, um, guests that would show up on Sundays and they had like an hour or two, I believe to actually present information. And if the community liked it, then you would get an invite to another one. And if they continued to like it, then Greg, I would invite you to, be would an invite SME. you to be an SME. I had a fighter guy at my level one. Do you remember what his name was? Yeah. John Hackleman. Yes. I had John Hackleman at my, my level one. So yes. Yeah. So you were, I remember when I first became aware of you, you were so well known because you could take, a traditional, like, let's say marathon running program where people normally would do this like periodized thing. And at the end they would end up running like 23 miles before the marathon or something. And you were able Mm -hmm. to say, no, you'd actually don't need to do that much volume. You can do way less volume and be successful and probably prevent some injuries and be more awesome. Can you tell us? Yeah. We call that the cat sleeping with dogs program. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Where people were like, what? What? Like you can. Kelly Starhat, how are you? Hey. Hey. You know, just that you don't have to run a marathon to be able to run a marathon. You can do a lot less than run a marathon and be awesome. Totally. You know, I, that, that, that was pretty much what we did. And I, you know, I mean, the really, really, really smart people would be like, no, you can't. But, you know, um, when we talk about training for an, an endurance event, the limiting factor in endurance events are not what people actually equate them to typically be. Um, and so I looked at that very differently because I got exposed to that cause I did a lot of long, slow distance training, which I, you know, Hey, got me ready for a triathlon or two or three yeah, it or works. 20 or 50, whatever, however many I did at the time until I started falling apart. And then I was like, I got to reinvent, I got, I got to relook at this. You know, I, I just got to look at this differently. And that was when we started playing with things in about 2000. Yeah, it was, no, it was like 2000, late 2004, and then 2005, I opened my gym, and that was Genetic Potential, and that was where we actually administered a lot of the training concepts and ideas that we were doing there and started developing a community of people that were actually following this idea. Um, and the results were across the board with all of these people with lower volume, but more – we, we used more intensity, but it, it isn't necessarily like the less is more – principle like it actually it's harder actually yeah because we're actually applying like skill development to it we were actually asking runners to spend time you know working on on technical skills versus just going out and putting in mileage and it turns out that actually can be pretty exhausting (laughs) but the strength and conditioning side came in and filled that gap where people have this 
had this idea that, um, you know, running long distances was necessary in order to get ready for a long distance. Well, you can do that, but you also need a whole lot of time to recover as a result of that. Or we can actually develop the tissue and the ligaments, the tendons, and ingrain better patterns, movement patterns as a result with strength and conditioning work. And that was what was the real catalyst to everything because that was what sped up recovery to a lot of these, like I guess what you could call the recovery process to um, these events that people were doing. What do you think we misunderstood? Because back then there was this notion that as long as you just did a lot of CrossFit, you could just pull way back on the volume of everything else. I think that was a misunderstanding early in the process, not your mistake. It was everyone else's mistake of misunder- misinterpreting some of, some of your programming. I don't think people understand when you would say, oh, yeah, we're only running a 5K today. And by the way, it's 5K repeats. It was brutal volume, but it was just not junk mileage for f- go run for four hours or seven hours. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not like, hey, go for a 5K jog. <laughs> like it was like, get your, get your tail warmed up, really warmed up. You know, you're going to probably spend as much time, at least as much time warming up as that you are going to be <clears throat> running as hard as you can for five kilometers, which is no small, in, you know, endeavor. No, <clears throat> then recover, then do it again. Then recover, recover and until then you, do it again. Yeah, I mean, but yeah, I mean, you would get up to volume like that. But yeah, I mean, that was stuff I did. Like I did four, I think the, the hardest run I ever did getting ready for a hundred miler was four or five K repeats at altitude on a trail like repeating back and forth. And that was brutal. I think, I think one of the interesting things about your entrance into CrossFit as it was at the time, which was very much GPP and now is, can be twisted a little bit into maybe some sports preparation. Mm -hmm. I think you guys were some of the first people to take a real crack at using CrossFit methodology to actually be sports specific training. That means that you were using CrossFit and the principles of CrossFit to actually support a full-time sport, not play sports, mess around, use this as GPP, just be fitter and stronger. You were saying, hey, there are specific shapes, specific things that we can train, um, metabolic pathways, different capacities. To, and the end goal was, am I a faster runner? Am I a better swimmer? Yes or no? And I think you were the, some of the first in the, in the CrossFit community to do that. And the second thing I think that's notable, and which was, I think, really seminal to me is that I began to look at a lot of the movements that we were just taking for granted as conditioning as a skill. And for example, in full caveat, I was a terrible runner. I had knee pain running. I, yes, you did. I could, I could do a, I had like a 400 <laughs> something fight gone bad. I could power clean 300s, et cetera, et cetera. This was how I entered your life, I believe. But <laughs> I was a heel striking, pulling machine. And you taught me how to run. And then you were like, good, I've signed you up for an ultra marathon. Good luck. <laughs> That came with it. Yeah, yeah. Why don't you um, Why don't you tell us a little bit about that ultra marathon you signed Kelly up for, <laughs> and and what that experience was like? Well, let me tell you what that experience was like. I want to hear it from Brian. Like not having you. my nails ripped out for eight and a half hours. I was waiting it, for my moment of transcendence. Like I thought, this is me, it. This I, is a question for our I am going to have a moment where I talk to the heavens and everything is good, and it wasn't. Are we filming this? <laughs> I'm glad to finally get this off my chest, actually, because this is important. I think this is important that I still need to talk. When you when you layered on running as a skill, it really changed how I thought about running, and it turned out I wasn't skilled. Well, that was the thing is I you know I think when we when I when I got to work with you, you know, I mean, I remember distinctively you had some North Face um, hiking shoes with shoe <laughs> inserts in them. 
And <laughs> hey, there's nothing wrong with stability. I really wish and, you guys could all see Kelly's face right now. <laughs> I was well, so we, stable. We, we've taught we 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 joke about this all the time, but it you know it was like ah oh, my knees hurt when I do this, and I remember r- literally walking over to Chrissy Field with him, and we spent literally maybe ten minutes, and he was like he got it obviously. And he was a quick study with it. And he's like, holy shit, I can run. Like, I can do this. Like, it's not, oh my God. Like, we can do, and can so fly. this, this, tra- you know, this took a little time, but he, he and I, the, the relationship that obviously the three of us have is very unique. And that was part of that process because it was so humorous with what we were doing that I was like, screw it. I'm signing this guy up for uh, the, the quad dipsy. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be fine. It wasn't just a ultra marathon. It's it was the, the hardest, like short course so ultra marathon. Can I tell a story about that? <laughs> so Kelly comes home from, and he completed it. By the way, for all the listeners, yes, he but did. He completed it um, in like with like two minutes to spare on the oh, time that's cutoff. Generous. Right? Oh, he, maybe thirty well, seconds. Yeah, to but spare. he planned that. Um, <laughs> I'm gonna use all then, the time. And then he was like, you know, his original plan was he was gonna do the quad dipsy, and then he brought all these barbells and weights in the back of his car, and he was gonna do like. Fran or something afterwards. Totally, I remember I was we, 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 we used to do so crazy shit. Let me shit just like say that, that he did not even consider doing that afterwards. No, we came home and he decides to set himself up in our bathroom in no, an I ice was, bath. I was dying afterwards. Okay, well, something he, was wrong. I was poisoned. So he goes, and I'm out in the living room, and he gets into this ice bath, and after like 45 minutes, he has not come out, and I was like, oh my god, <sighs> he had a heart attack. And I cruise back to the bathroom, and he's in a full-on ice bath, sitting up, asleep. <laughs> and I literally thought for sure he had died, and I like poked him a little bit, and he just woke right up, but just like sitting asleep in a full on ice bath. It was that's cold. how messed it wasn't up he even was. Nice. It was just cold, but I, I came out and I was okay. It definitely hit some reset. Wow, <laughs> I, I don't think I ever got that. I was so yeah. toxic. Part of the story. So the 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 key is um, one of the things that is the theme of this season is where we were there and what we are now. Yeah. What do you think are some of the the misunderstandings we had about aerobic efficiency. Cause a lot of mm. people came to CrossFit with a pretty big aerobic background. Like Juliet was a collegiate rower, mm. right? We had a lot of people who showed up who had big aerobic engines mm. and then all of a sudden they got faster because they were doing some legitimate strength conditioning. They were deadlifting and pressing and power cleaning for the first time. Mm-hmm. They were exposing themselves to some intensity. What did we have wrong in the beginning when we started to think about this aerobic function? Cause it, for those, this is a foreshadow because things have changed. Oh yeah, um, you know i I don't know. Like I, I, I would have told you twelve years ago that everybody had it all wrong. Uh, um, that was doing it a different way. Um, that's not true. You know, I, I've changed that narrative. Um, I, I feel that, and this goes this kind of transcends through anything that we're doing, especially in our world, right? With human performance is that we get stuck and we do this in life too, but we, we get stuck in, in specific patterns and the way we're doing things. And we, we begin to follow a path and we, we believe that to be the only truth. And that's where we, we're only drinking goat milk in this family. Well, (laughs) but, but, Long, slow distance is one of those easy things to to pick off of because it's it's a it's a it's a no brainer for a lot of people. Like if I asked anybody off the street how you'd train for a marathon, they'd probably just say I'd start run a lot. running yeah. and run more and more and more each week. You know, as I got better, 
and that's perfectly fine as, as an answer, but that doesn't necessarily mean we're getting to what we actually want to achieve. And, and I, I've, I've been able to kind of go up a mountain and see what it's like up there and then take myself back down that mountain, that same mountain and go around the other side and come up that side and then go down that mountain and go to the, you know, another side and go up that and look at it from a different variable. And endurance training was one of those things and aerobic efficiency, which is kind of a new word or new thing that we're talking about at this point was one of the things I didn't even totally, I I didn't understand back then. I just thought you went out and you ran or you worked out and you were just training a specific metabolic pathway. Well, it just so happens that's not necessarily how it works. And there's a lot of different, there's a lot of variation in there. And, you know, our, our breathing is obviously connected to that. And that's obviously where I'm at right now within my work. But the, the interesting thing is, is that we are now starting to clearly see and we'll see more after this. We're starting to very clearly see that there are th- big things we've missed as a result of chasing something like, let's just say, VO2 max and, and saying, yes, that big block engine is what you want. You know, And it's like, well, that's great if you've got a big block engine, but if it's sitting on a Prius, that's the wrong thing. Like that, That's not how that car works. Right. So how do we develop that car or gear that car up or give that car the proper work in order to work with that? Well, we're going to have to change the whole car. And so that's what we really started doing was altering what that was. And so people people really were so focused on thinking like aerobic capacity and aerobic training were this one thing. And it's not basically all training is aerobic training. That's all it is. The the anaerobic side of that, like if I'm just anaerobic, that's just a high stress response to like survival, like go into the woods and a bear comes out. Trust me, you're going to be anaerobic pretty quickly (laughs) and you're going to use up that, you know, you're going to use that until you settle into something if you're running. Right. And, but we don't have those type of situations. So the problem has sat with us doing a lot of survival type training (laughs) for, things that don't require that to, you know, really understand where this switch of how does oxygen or how does aerobic activity actually work with the training that I'm doing and where are the switches happening metabolically of what, what I'm doing. I have two questions for you and I want to get to what you're doing now. Um, but I still have two look back questions. Mm -hmm. Um, the first is if, how did the experience of being involved in early CrossFit days and being a CrossFit CrossFit SME shape who you are and how you think now? And do you actually still do CrossFit? Two questions. Second part. Yes, I still do CrossFit. I will probably always, I'm, I'm not going to say always, but I, I'm alluding to, I will probably always do it unless something better or another idea comes along. I think it's a profound way of training. Um, I've looked at it and I think Kelly could agree that it was, and probably still is one of the greatest athletic screens that we've ever seen. Um, it, that doesn't mean that we just continue to blow through things and do things when we can't do them. Um, cross yeah, we just understand a little more now. Yeah. yeah. Oh, a decade yeah. in. Totally, totally. And I and I think by and large we understand we, we look at this very differently than what people are looking at it as right now as a sport. That's not that's not what we are looking at 
is CrossFit. CrossFit as a sport is a very different thing. That said, being involved with CrossFit, so to the first question, absolutely unequivocally altered my life in every single aspect. And it, and I knew that the moment it happened. I knew that the moment that Greg invited me to come up and talk and be a part of this thing. Um, you know, even, you know, it was getting in front of a hundred people at a seminar and presenting information. I'd never presented anything in my life prior to that. And Greg, like every time I see him, he still makes fun of me about that. He's like, it was so <laughs> terrible that I had to get up and walk out. And I literally remember him sitting there with Brendan Gilliam and getting up and walking out. And I'm like, I remember that moment. Oh my God. <laughs> I didn't know that happened. Oh, oh yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and it was just because I was reading, so many people a, a platform. But yeah. I literally was reading from my computer the whole time. Like I was just like, and this and that. I was reading my presentation from the computer. And but everybody in that seminar was like, wait, what? You don't have to do that in order to achieve that. Holy shit. Yes. And I literally had droves of people coming up to me. I mean, I mean, I was where I met Rob Wolf and Rob was like, holy shit, this makes total sense. You know, um, <clears throat> that, you know, that Greg gave me something that, uh, you know, no, nobody's ever given to me. He gave <clears throat> me something. He gave me a platform to do something. And I went and ran with that. And I was, I, I'm very honored that that happened and I got to be a part of that. And that early stage when like every trainer in, in like the, the region, like literally showed up, they weren't being paid. They just showed up to a level one and you know, it was a party and you'd go to Buca de Beppo or wherever you went with everybody. And, it's Buca. Yeah. Buca de Beppo. And <laughs> my bad. <laughs> um, yeah, but it, it was transformational in my life and it, and it gave me that, it was that kind of next step up or maybe two or three <laughs> to like, Hey, get your shit together and start to share this information. And that taught me uh, some very valuable lessons. Yeah. I mean, not only did it force us to be and organize our thinking and be in front of a, a big community, but it also gave us real opportunity to practice on a huge data set. Suddenly we had lots and lots of people that we were practicing on that were part Dude. of an active experiment. There's thousands of people, you know, um, and one of the things that I think is interesting is, um, Greg was probably the first person through CrossFit to take my, grab me by the back of the neck and say, if you can't run a 5k, you have a big hole in your system. And he would program these 5k's sort of as throwaways as, as recoveries. And even early on with Dave Castro, you would text Dave Castro and say, you're going to run the 5k today. Oh, yeah. And you would just call him out and he'd be like, yeah, I'm running the 5K today. And <clears throat> one of the nice things about, I think, the evolution of the endurance aspect of CrossFit is that we have seen people become very much more skilled at running, swimming, biking. Mm -hmm. As those distances have gotten longer, people have really have come back to the tenets of good training. Mm -hmm. You can't win the CrossFit sport unless you have a big aerobic engine that you can run and swim and do all these other things. Um, but I, I feel like we had to be dragged into that efficiency a little bit because someone had to hold our, say this was important. Yeah. And would you talk about the example um, with uh, sort of, you put it on, on 
sort of the old style with Tia and her step test and sort of now thinking about endurance training differently. Can you just talk about it a little bit? Because I think it really highlights the example of where we were yeah. and what's possible now. Yeah. So and what is the step test? Yeah. yeah. Um, so it, the, the step test is, it, it's, it, it's a Konkani test. So it's just a simple step up every minute to where we increase the intensity of what we're doing. And we use an assault bike with her. Um, you've made me do that too. Now I remember exactly yes. what it so is. So the first minute is like 50 <laughs> RPMs and then 52. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. And I think for elite women, we use 48 RPMs and we go up two RPMs. It's then the for worst. like non-elite women, we'll start at 48 and then it'll go 49, 50, you know? So for the elite women, you have two RPM jumps. So the wattage increases a little bit more each time. Um, and, and this is a standard type of test that's done for most uh, you know, it, it's done all over the endurance world. You do a Concani was a, uh, an Italian guy that did that figured this out and how to really, uh, hone in on specific, uh, markers. And so we, I got, I met with Tia after the, fir, after her first win and they came to me because of a kid by the name of James Newbury, who's also a competitor. Um, and he had done so well at regionals and got to the, uh, games through this exact testing and stuff that we were doing with him. Um, and, what what we did with Tia was we identified really quickly that she was pretty she she wasn't in very aerobically efficient, she, meaning she her heart rate just shot up immediately, like one thirty five, one thirty six in the you, first minute. In the first minute, and then it would make a jump to one forties, one fifties, and then one sixties, like by third or fourth minute, right? And you know that's you know that that's a pretty high increase a pretty you know reactive response to something Um, and without having a metabolic card at the time when we did this or with her we use heart rate as an identifier as the intensity creeping and you know it's it's appropriate Um, but what we did was we implemented a three day three four day a week program where it fit into her current training to where she was doing basically single modality or you know, monostructural, which like means only running, only running, only, swimming, only, only on the bike, only on the swing, you know, skiered, right? And they were set at specific places. And so, with her, you know, it was the first month she was only to do most of what she was doing, nasal breathing only, and that's pretty much what I can we can do with most CrossFit athletes to start them off, and you'll they see in in incredible re- responses because we're actually controlling the amount of CO2 that's going out and having them work. And it sucks at first because they're not working as hard, but by month's end, it's a completely different story. And so we, we then see a highly, highly aerobically efficient athlete because the control of CO2, like when we offload too much CO2, you're not absorbing oxygen. If you don't get enough oxygen, if you're not absorbing enough oxygen, that's a signal to the cells to go anaerobic. Oh, no oxygen, little oxygen. We will burn more sugar because we don't need oxygen in order to burn glycogen. So that's what the signaling property of that is. It's not about having just a bigger engine or more time on the bike. It's about changing how we think about the training, the intensity, some of the conditions. 100%. Yeah. And and respiratory. So, so not right. Pulmonary ventilation, breathing is literally your indicator of what is happening in any situation and if we're going to use training as one of those situations which we are it is telling you exactly where you are at and what you're doing metabolically so we had tia who's big aerobic engine 
incredible athlete, very yep. efficient, expressing this aerobic power in a way that definitely smacked of the way she'd been training. And then what happened when you retested her after retweaking, because this is really, I feel like is the evolution of how we're all thinking about endurance and efficiency. Yeah. So a year later and she had a month off after the games, we retested her um, and she won the games uh, again and we retested her and her numbers were like a complete reversal. Like it was just like, it almost took forever for her to get up to the one sixties and then one seventies and, you know, upper, you know, I think she hit some one eighty at that, but, um, no, she kept out at one sixty at the end versus being at one sixty heart rate at the third minute. Exactly. Yeah. 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 We know we actually only had her go to the 10th minute because we were, it was a warm up. For her, so we we didn't max her out on that one. So, but n- n- regardless of what we did, the step up completely changed what was it was it was a, it was a literal night and day change. What would you go back and tell yourself as Brian McKenzie early on in CrossFit as? person really bring carrying this endurance flame saying hey i think we need to be better at swimming we need to be better running better biking what would you go back and redo if you could i don't i mean i'd love to say go back and start looking at breathing earlier but you know i don't like i i don't know that i i really want to go back and change any of the, the mistakes or the stuff that i did because i wouldn't be where i'm at and what i'm understanding and how much fun i'm having with it right now um, I, I think the, the, the big thing is I, I would just be like, Hey, don't be so sure of everything quite yet because shit's going to change as it always does. And that was what we have stumbled across since I got involved is that things constantly are changing and there's better ways to do things. We learn another way of doing something and, and, and we can become more efficient with that if we're just paying attention. So speaking of breathing, you now teach an art of breath course and you become an expert in breathing mechanics and breath work. Can you give us a little backstory about how this all started for you? Yeah. Well, I don't know that I'm actually an expert, but um, I, I do find it quite interesting and it has encompassed my entire life. <laughs> that said, uh, you know, we, we, we just we stumbled on this breathing thing because of a, of a training mask. And I, I just, I put one on and it changed the way I was sitting when I put it on. And it was so that I could actually get access to my diaphragm. So that, because I was resisting, I was using a resistance breathing device and it instantly charged me to think, well, if this is forcing me to change, why wouldn't I? And so we continued down the road and I, I had years ago, I used to do yoga a ton. I had an Ashtanga practice. I was crazy about it. And, you know, there's a lot of breathing going on in Ashtanga yoga and they talk about it quite a bit, Uh, but I didn't pay attention because I was literally just doing it because I wanted to get limber. Like I just wanted to do some stretching to stay loose. We call that little yoga. I was doing little yoga and um, I never, but then thinking back, I'm like, whoa, wait a second, they were, this was at the foundation of the actual practice. Like you're not to move to another position until you're, you're actually moving air. Like I inhale into this position, I exhale into this position. And so that started to percolate in my brain. And at any rate, we started 
doing a lot of different stuff. I, I got involved with Wim Hof, had a relationship with him, spent some time with him, um, gotten, you know, like started playing around with his hyperventilation techniques. Um, so I had all of these things that I was kind of doing. And then I was like, how do we fit these into, into the current training and what we were doing? And at first it just became about recovery. Like, Oh, what are we doing during recovery? Then it started to become, wait a second, if this is affecting us during recovery, why wouldn't it affect us during training? And so that was when we started to do that, apply it to training. And I felt like that was the time to start putting these things out as like a breathing and performance seminars. And that was kind of the first year, year and a half I did with these and these kind of evolved. And then, uh, Rob Wilson and I, who Rob used to be a part of the mobility wad staff, Rob got super interested in this stuff, came to me, followed me around the country, literally just showed up, would show up places, had me to his, his wife's gym. And, uh, we decided to really do a revamping and really go deep on the information. And that was when the art of breath was created a couple of years ago, um, maybe a few years ago now at this point. Um, and we take the concepts of all of this stuff and apply it and give people kind of an overview principles based view of how breathing works with performance so that people can understand how to take that. And it's not necessarily a methodology because methods really, I, I don't like to get in too much too involved in the methodology. Like you have things. to do our program only. Yeah. yeah versus in, how does this no, in, integrate into the th thing? This could doing. integrate That's into right. any program. Yeah. And I will say art of breath is the most important thing for me in strength and conditioning in the last five years. That's that's how important. The way we're looking at efficiency, the way we're looking at mechanics, it's definitely thrown light on to the back of the corners of things we've been talking about for 10 years. If someone sent me the notes from one of our early courses, SME, and I was talking about breathing and mechanics and integrity and breathing out, but it was just sort of a footnote. Right. <laughs> Turns out it should have been a whole chapter, but it was a footnote. You know, we just didn't know. We just didn't know. Totally. We need more experience. We didn't know what we didn't know. And, and I think the, 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 re, the, the scientific world, the exercise science world, like everybody kind of just glan gl glances over some things and, and they, it's not anybody's real fault. It's just, oh, we're getting stuck on something and we're just skipping over this and yeah, that's a part of it, but it's not that big of a deal. But turns out it's a very big deal. Are you looking forward? Um, Julie and I still love the CrossFit. We still own a CrossFit. Um, we still love, I love couplets and triplets. I'll do them my whole life. Mm -hmm. I think it's just such a gorgeous way. Looking forward, you, you told yourself, looking backwards, hey, there's a lot of data that we're missing. Be cool, be patient. Looking forward, what do you think, where is CrossFit going as a movement, what do people sort of what what are the things people should be looking out for so they can make this a sustainable practice? Whew. That's uh, <laughs> I, use it as a tool. Use it as a tool, and 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 to understand not only like yourself, but what's going on with you. Um, you know, like like mechanically. Like what's going, can you overhead squat? Okay. You can't like, let's back that off. There's a reason why that front squat sat before that overhead squat or what, you know, why a back squat comes before the front squat, like understand that stuff. And if you can't do it, go back a step and, and take that back to understand what's going on with you. You know? And I think because we were on the breathing thing, it's like, look, if you can't breathe 
in these positions controlled and, and going through warm-ups, then we've got a big, big problem. And that could be mechanical and or that could be physiological, which is affecting the psychology as well. So um I don't I have no idea where CrossFit's headed right now. I, I don't like I you know, the sport, I don't know it'll be around. I don't know if it'll be around in a couple years. Um, but I think the movement itself will never go anywhere. I think the movement itself uh, is staying in place. Um, and I think that it, it, it's had a profound impact on me, on people. Um, and I mean, we met because of it. So like, that's an important piece of what, you know, that says something to me. Um, that said, I think the communal aspect of it is great. Um, but I think using it to understand yourself or the training, especially coaches, like use it to understand people. That's the important process. That's what's important about it. And I think that's how you use it. So when we conceived of this season of the ready state, we wanted to, we wanted it to be like a, where are they now? Like, yeah. you know, when you look up, like, you know, where is some eighties star or something? So I, we know you're doing the art. Rick of Schroeder, Rick Schroeder, Ricky Schroeder. <laughs> um, we know that you are teaching the art of breath course. Um, you are also the purveyor of power, speed, endurance, mm -hmm. but um, just maybe give us a broad overview of all the things you're working on right now. Certainly. Um, so we run, I, I run, I'm, I don't run. I'm a part of a team that is power, speed, endurance, a subscription service for training um, and the ideas and things that we implement. Um, uh, the, with that, the Art of Breath course functions off of power, speed, endurance. Um, we have an app that we're about to drop um, that is that we have an app for power speed endurance, and we also will have an app that will be coming out here very shortly on controlled breathing and kind of fingerprinting the human being for that, how you emotionally handle stress and how you handle ca carbon dioxide. Um, that'll, that's going to be a very important thing, um, that gets out there. And that, we felt that was the easiest way to affect as many people as we possibly could, since everybody likes to be on their phones. Um, and then I, I have a, uh, we just started a, a, a foundation called the health and human performance foundation where we're actually doing, uh, we're getting involved in research centered around health and human performance. And a lot of this has to do with breathing research and looking at how breathing is affecting things. And we want to go after more of the innate or intrinsic things and not necessarily medicine, medicine's way of solving things. We want to look at how we can potentially solve stress as a global thing, whether it has to do with performance or whether it has to do with health, mental, physical, whatever, um, and how we can really change things with that. And I've got another book that we're, we've been writing. <laughs> Just know. one more book? Just one more book. Can you talk about your baking? And... At home. We're talking about bread here. I'm sorry. I'm going to just actually, I'm going to chime in here for a second. Oh, yeah. So recently Kelly has taken up baking bread thanks to you. Um, and I noted for him that since we've been together nearly 20 years, it's his first hobby he has that is not exercise related. Um, and I know you guys have created oh. a club of two. So um, club of two bread bakers and you've even named your club. So let's hear a little bit about that. Um, you talking about No Lines Bakery? Exactly. Yes, which is what's going to happen in about five. Oh, you talking seven about the, the disciples of the four, the four ingredients? Exactly. 
Yeah, I tell you what, you know. Um, Do you want me to tell the audience what No Lines Bakery means? <laughs> yeah, you should. Yes, go ahead. Uh, Kelly and Brian love to tan <laughs> in a tanning bed at a place called Sun Company Tanning. Not together. Um, not together. And no, the bed wouldn't. It's they, a one person bed, obviously. No, <laughs> no Lines Bakery is an homage to the fact that at all times, 365 days a year, they are tanned with no lines. Hey, vitamin D deficiency is real. <laughs> NorCal has no sun in winter. And it turns and out I when was I'm getting depressed. When I'm a little bit sunburned, I'm a little bit happy. Yes. So uh, before we let you go, though, you know, for the first 10 years I knew you, you did not eat a gluten. And mm. now you bake bread as a hobby. So let's yeah. hear a little bit about how you started doing that and why you love it. I, I started looking into this whole gut thing. And the further I got down the rabbit hole, I started to understand some different things. And part of those things are things that have made it long periods of time through human history. Bread happens to be one of those things. Fermented foods. Fermented foods, right? And so bread's one of those things. And so after watching a Michael Pollan documentary and his episode on bread, I was like, I'm going to get a bread starter. <laughs> and I was living in the, tr I was, I was living out in the abyss of Oregon at the time. And, uh, I started playing around with bread. And so I got a starter going, started screwing around, started baking bread. And it was horrific because I did not follow directions very well. <laughs> um, and so for the last three years I've baked bread and about, I don't know, a year ago, was it, was it a year ago? Yeah. yeah. If even, yeah. Like six months ago or something, maybe, maybe a year. Might be a year. I don't know, but it, you know, I, I, I got so into it. It just like, it's such a great re like release. Dude, you're only as good as your last loaf. Dude, it's such a process to make bread. And when I finally realized that like maybe a year and a half in, <laughs> cause I just stuck with it. Uh, it became so gratifying to, to get something to, to yeah. grow like that. To, this is this is a bit perfect way to wrap up because it's interesting that you came out of water polo endurance athletics, mm -hmm. right? You have this transformation. Here you are back at the beginning, understanding more, right? You're taught you're a breath coach. <laughs> you uh, not really. You're talking to people about their psychoemotional selves. You're baking, mm -hmm. right? Um, underneath though. <laughs> is still a little ADD kid who's running around wild. And if we look at the two ways we bake bread, Brian has made 50 kinds of loaves <laughs> with different flour mixtures, different things in it. I've been baking the same loaf for a year trying to just get one good That's loaf. That's not true, Starhead. You've, you've, you've done some seed. You've made done, a seed loaf. You, like, you've done a couple. You, you, you've taken some risks. Well, dude, we're Narcissus and Goldman. You are Goldman. You're going around the outside. I'm up to the middle trying to bake the same bread. I'm so yeah. grateful. Um, I don't think I would have embraced my endurance self. I think I'm uh, an aerobic responder according to my genetics. I literally, I think I actually should be about 185 pounds based on my frame, and I'm not. I feel like I, I was cramming my square peg into this round aerobic hole or round fitness hole for a long time trying to be strong. All my friends are strong. I'm not strong. If only I had met you early on, because this is all Juliet and I do. We're just aerobic athletes. That's all, right. I, that's all I think about now. Brian, where can people find you? Um, on the socials and the mm. interwebs. You won't get much of a response on me in the socials, but you can go there. I mean, it's at underscore Brian McKenzie on um, Instagram and then at Brian McKenzie on Twitter. 
Power Speed Endurance is where everything, if you want to reach out or something, go through Power Speed Endurance. It'll get to me. Um, that's where it's all at. It's pretty fun. Yeah, it's 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 been a hell of a ride. You're up in Northern Cal, right? You live in Terralinda and San Rafael. And Eight you, minutes from the Star Hats. And you can also find yourself, uh, you're at San Francisco CrossFit once in a while. Yes, I am. Usually once a week. Hey. Hey. We're very grateful. Thank you so Amazing. much for I love being you with guys. us. Love you. Yeah. Viva La CrossFit. Viva. Thank you for listening to The Ready State. If you like what you're hearing, check out all of our episodes here or at mobilitywad.com. The Ready State is the podcast of mobilitywad.com, where we've assembled the world's most comprehensive database of guided movement mechanics and mobility videos, all with the goal to help improve performance and eliminate pain. Each motivated by the simple idea that all human beings should be able to perform basic maintenance on themselves. We're also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram under mobilitywad. That's W-O-D as in workout of the day. Until next time, cheers, everyone. You got it. You better stop it. You got it. Kelly Starrett is a New York Times bestselling author of Becoming a Supple Leopard and Ready to Run. He's a coach, a physical therapist, an athlete, and an innovator who works with elite athletes as well as everyday people who just want to be healthier and happier in their lives. Juliette Starrett is a co-founder and CEO of both San Francisco CrossFit and Mobility Wad, co-founder of StandUpKids.org, a writer, an entrepreneur, and a world champion athlete. Our theme music was provided by Rogue Wave. You got it! You better stop it!